You are listening to iFanboy Talks Explode with John Romita Jr., artist of Kick-Ass and the upcoming Avengers. Another edition of iFanboy Talks Explode. My name is Ron Richards, and I'm super excited today because Josh Flanagan and I had a chance to talk with John Romita Jr., a living legend, one of the uh, my favorite artists that's been working at Marvel for over 30 years on titles like Uncanny X-Men, long runs on Spider-Man, Thor, World War Hulk, you name it, he's drawn it. He also drew Kick-Ass, the uh, creator-owned series that he teamed up with Mark Miller on, which, as you, I'm sure many of you know, has been adapted into a movie, which is coming out shortly. We had an opportunity to talk to John before he headed out to South by Southwest uh, to actually see the movie premiere uh, and talk about Kick-Ass, talk about his upcoming work with Brian Michael Bendis on Avengers, as well as what it's like to be John Romita Jr. and uh, such a veteran in the comics industry. I'm super, super excited about this one. He's one of my favorite artists. This is really a dream come true, so I hope you enjoy the conversation. And we are here with uh, artist John Romita Jr. from Marvel Comics. How you doing, John? I'm doing fine, guys. Nice talking to you. Excellent. Thank you for giving us all your time. So, uh, so you, it's, a, it's a pretty big month come, uh, leading up here for you. You got uh, the Kick-Ass movie opening soon. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, That's so- correct. I'm, I'm heading down to Austin, Texas on Thursday the 11th uh, in anticipation of the South by Southwest Film Festival, which could be the uh, quote-unquote world premiere. Cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, I'm excited about that. I've never been to that kind of uh, film festival, that size film festival before. Right. Yeah, and South by Southwest is a great one for film, and it's a it's a great celebration of film and stuff. They they show really cool movies. So that's great that you guys have been included in there. Um, so I assume you've seen the movie. <laughs> I have not seen the movie. You haven't. <laughs> I haven't. I've seen all bits and pieces of it, uh, dailies from when I was in London, uh, trailers until my ears are bleeding, but not. <laughs> I've not seen. The, I've seen the animated sequence. But I've not seen the complete film. That's correct. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Cool. So so uh, so it's going to be exciting for you to see it all kind of pieced together there down in Austin. <laughs> yeah. I, even my Lithuanian housekeeper has seen it. She was at one of the screenings accidentally, and she saw it. She can't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. So um, so that said, before we talk about the movie, we want to talk a little bit about the book and your collaboration with Mark Miller. Um, how did that come about? You know, from what I've read, I believe uh, Mark had the idea, and he and from working with you uh, previously at Marvel, he said, "Hey, I got this idea." Or how did you guys start collaborating? Uh, Mark was uh, actually uh, he's just the window washer. I had it all from the beginning. It was all my idea, completely mine idea. Mark had nothing to do with it. He's just a, a name. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he called me up to say that he wanted to work on uh, a creator-owned project. Or I might have asked him about a creator-owned project in the past, and then he said, let's consider something. And he came up with what became the kick-ass idea, but he originally started out with just, uh, it was just uh, Hit Girl and uh, Big Daddy, and it morphed into the present state. But uh, yes, he came up with the original idea and sent me uh, the, form- the formula, the, the, excuse me, the beginning formula for it, and and uh, I did some sketching and some uh, character sketches and model sheets, and then as it morphed, I did more and more. Then he sent the first script, and then the second script, and then at that point, uh, Matthew Vaughn had been in into it, and that's the way things worked out. It, it, it kind of slowly rolled, and then it began to pick up a lot of steam once Matthew Vaughn got involved with it. Right. Uh, and then you'll hear varying degrees of 
my value in this, depending on who you speak to, but Mark is uh, very, very uh, uh, effusive in, with his praise. But it was Mark's, it's Mark's idea, uh, and uh, I came along for the ride and very fortunate to do that. Well, yeah, and, and I'm sure, you know, that, that collaboration in a creator-owned project where, you know, the writer and the artist come together, I mean, you, de- you, know, you define the look of it, and I think, you know, are responsible for, you know, a, a large piece of the feel for the book. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm never going to stand and, and, and declare how important I was to this because uh, he, he, regardless of, of how you look at it, uh, he's gotten the lion's share of the credit for it. And that's what writers do. They get that lion's share. And that's fine. I have no problem with that. Uh, he'll, he'll give you, a, you know, like I said, a, a lot of praise for me. But uh, the fact that he's given me the half share on this uh, for the credit is wonderful. And I'll take it because the, the amount of work that went into it artistically is, is uh, in the series is one thing. And then to work on the film as an artist was another. So I put more work into onto the film than he did. But uh, it worked out nice. I, he's such a good guy. He's a good man. He's a brilliant writer. And uh, anything that comes my way because of this, I accept. And if somebody says, ah, you're a lucky bastard, yeah, yeah, well, I'd rather be lucky than good. <laughs> How far into the the process of doing the comic book did the I mean was the movie already a done deal before the first issue came out or, or how far along was that? I'm not sure of the timeline. I think Mark mm-hmm. can give you a better uh, idea of that. I know that during the, the the work on the first issue, he told me that Matthew Vaughn is really interested in, it. and then it became well now he's really really interested, and then it became uh, he's going to buy it and etc. I don't know at which point during the first one the deal was sealed. I don't think I signed any papers until many, many issues later. But uh, he had told me going in that there was interest before I even began working on the first issue. Hmm. Before I finished the first issue, I should say. He told me during the issue. Uh, He didn't tell me while I was working on it. Uh, He didn't tell me before I began. Uh, I don't think that incentive was needed for me to work on it, but... During the issue, he began to tell me how uh, excited Matthew Vaughn was. Now, were you? I mean, so were you currently were you concurrently working on stuff from the the comic and the movie at the same time later on? No, well, later no. on, yes, I began to work on the film while I was working on on uh, <laughs> the issues and Spider Man at the same time. Things got a little hairy in this office. A lot of people That's sell okay. comics and then never work on them again. So, the fact that yeah. you finished it, <laughs> well, it was it was way behind schedule. Because the film work took a, a, probably two and a half years of time, uh, well, two years of time, I was working on the film work intermittently, and uh, that caused me to get behind on the Kick-Ass stuff. Uh, and of course, Marvel did not want me to catch up with Kick-Ass; they wanted me to, to keep Spider-Man on schedule. And then, as I kept on working on Spider-Man, and then issue 600 happened, uh, Kick-Ass just got further and further behind. So I take complete blame for that. I, I do not look at myself in the mirror and get mad at myself. There was nothing I could do about it. If not for the film work and the amount of work I put into doing the, the artwork on that film, I don't think any of this would have happened. I would have been finished sooner. I will take, I'll take what happened. I will accept the fact that I had to work on the film. Yeah, I mean, it's and it, it, it should work out all in the end. And that's what when we talked about it, like the 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 issues as they came out wasn't really, you know, yeah, there was delays and stuff like that. But each issue made it worth it. And the fact that you know you you get the whole volume, and I know the hardcover is already out. You know, it tells the whole complete story, and it came out but before the movie came out. That's pretty much as good as it gets there. You know, like the. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, the, the I appreciate that. I, I agonized over getting it done as fast as I could. And, uh, and I took a lot of the, the, the abuse for it online, which is fine because it was supposed to be out a lot sooner. But I, like I said, I do not, I don't feel angry at myself for it. There was at one point that I ever sit down and say, ah, I'm too tired. I'm not going to work. <laughs> I was constantly, yeah. constantly doing it. And the Marvel people did not want me to, to uh, eschew Spider-Man monthly for kick-ass pages. Sure. And even, that, if I, even if I told them I was working on them on the weekends, they said, well, work on Spider-Man on the weekend. Right. And that's interesting because you know you're you're well you know I mean you're well known for your legacy at Marvel and you you know you, you've you know been there for so long and worked in so many great characters and this is your second foray kind of into creator owned and even though Marvel is is was kind of publishing it with through the Icon line um, it's still very much as a creator owned book how did you know how does the juggling between you know, the day job of Spider Man and the stuff for Marvel versus the creator owned work how did, how how are you able to resolve that I I just worked at every waning moment the the whole point was that I worked weekends. Uh, and, and nights anyway, for, do, for, do, for doing two titles. That's the way I've, I've worked since I began to do two titles. And there was nothing I could do. There seemed to be no time when I started working on the film. I think my wife would have left me if I had put in any more hours. So this, the whole point was I had to pick and choose times. And when I would get in between Spider-Man issues, I would do some kick-ass work. And if I finished my, uh, my daily quota of work early, I'd do some more kick-ass work. But it just seemed that the movie stuff was constantly popping up and uh, then the animated, the animated sequence took a lot longer than everybody expected. Uh, and, not, and you wouldn't know it by the amount of work, the amount of time it appears on the screen, but Matthew Vaughn was very specific about what he wanted, then he didn't like the computer, the three-dimensional look of it. He thought it looked too much like a computer game. So he changed gears a couple of times, actually twice. So I redid the, uh, the sequence three times. Or I did the sequence three times. And that took a lot of time, too. And, and Tom Palmer and Dean White are just as, uh, as harried over this as I was. We went through a lot of hell to get it done. But uh, it worked out okay. I liked the way the sequence looked. I wish it had been 100% animation all the way through, but that would have taken forever and a lot more money. Well, yeah, and that, that was my question was that, you know, because it, it was a unique, the sequence is a unique kind of uh, take on your art. I mean, it starts out very traditional kind of comic book and then gets in some of those 3D elements. And it's kind of some like what we've seen with some of the motion comics out there. Was it, it, right. was it a trip to see your work kind of get translated into that, you know, visual kind of video format? Uh, I, knew, I, knew in a long, I knew a long time ago what it was going to look like. But the problem is I didn't see the, pro- I didn't see the difficulties of taking a two-dimensional piece of artwork and making it 3D. And I had to do all of these uh, uh, model sheets, these 360-degree model sheets of almost every character that we were considering, and not a lot of them appeared in the animated sequence. Uh, so the difficulties, and they didn't realize it either, the computer guys, uh, double negative, their names are, uh, the difficulties of turning a two-dimensional drawing into three-dimensional animation. They assumed it would be easier. It wasn't. And then there were alterations on the, the, the visuals because Matthew decided he did want likenesses to be closer to the film instead of just the comic. The whole point of it was, to, was in Matthew's words, was to be an homage to my work uh, in the comic. And that's flattering. But then he changed gears along the way and wanted it to be more of an amalgam of the two. And that also caused a redo. Eh. 
Listen, if directors <laughs> were easy going, they wouldn't be geniuses. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so, so, uh, looking at the book in, in terms of the contents and and you know, Kickass is you know, the one thing everyone talks about is how violent it was and how you know and realistic and that sort of thing. Um, how you know, you by day you're working on Spider Man, which is pretty much as you know mainstream comics as it gets, and there's a certain expectation kids are reading it. You know, was it a was it a tough transition to get into the you know the bloody beatings that happened? in the early issues or that's an excellent excellent question uh yeah there's a time when i was doing spider-man and um and the hulk i think or thor and spider-man and i had i had difficulties crossing over from a a lean uh five foot nine inch spider-man character to a six foot six 300 pound 300 pounds of muscle in immortal character and i had difficulties with that transition so with this one, it was equally as difficult because I, t- I tended to want to be more violent in the Spider-Man book. And not because I wanted the violence. What I was doing was starting to be a little bit more graphic in the action sequences. And I had to hold myself back. And, oh, shit, I can't do that. <laughs> I had to be careful. Yeah. And then, of course, with the, with the Kick-Ass book, I was working on being discreet in the violence. So, yeah, I did have difficulty uh, in, in the changeover. And I, I eventually righted myself and said, this guy can have his head chopped off. In Spider-Man, we can't chop any heads off. All right, stupid, put the sign up on your desk. You're working on Spider-Man today. Moron, no blood. <laughs> and and not only not only blood and gore, but just like for example, like with Hit Girl. I mean, you know, you got a you know you know young girl wielding a sword, chopping guys in pieces. It's kinda... that's right. Yeah. So fortunately, there were no children in any of the Spider-Man issues. I would have had them swinging bats at people and taking uh, faces off and stuff. I, I, it was a difficult transition. Yes, that's yeah. very perceptive. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and and you know, and everyone knows that you know you're you're a part of a legacy at Marvel, and your your dad worked at Marvel and stuff like that. Has he uh, has he seen the book or? He has, but he saw the artwork. I don't think he's read the book. He's seen my artwork, but he hasn't seen the book. I, so I was showing him the art, and he was cringing at some of the scenes. Uh, and and uh, he's a, he's a fan, and um, with all uh, honesty, he's a biased fan, but. He enjoyed the work, and I told him what the books were going to be like. I don't think he wanted to read it. It wasn't necessary for him to read it. He's a fan of Mark's, but it wasn't necessary to read it. He cringes at R-rated movies, and that's fine. But he's a fan of my work, and he and he thought it was really over the top, but really, and he thought, but he enjoyed it. <laughs> I could see how it's a little change of pace from the work that he did at Marvel or his his career. <laughs> <laughs> that's a difference difference in generations over that. He just he was just like this is not going to be approved by the code. <laughs> but he know he knew about uh, creator own going in. He understood that. But this is completely this is a compl- I don't think he'd seen anything this violent in any of the creator own books before. Were you were you prepared from the beginning with how much you were going to be pushing yourself to make it really graphic? Because I mean, honestly, we've read a lot of graphic stories, but I think by issues, you know. Three and four, I, you know, when I was reading, I was like, oh, oh, my word. Like, th- this book was pushed about as far as I'd seen anything, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't wrapped up in a, a bag that you couldn't see the cover through. I mean, it was... No, I didn't did that- have trouble going in because the first issue, Mark asked for, uh, well, we discussed it in advance. This is going to be, we can do anything we want type of thing. And he giggled about it. But he didn't giggle when he, re- when he mentioned in, this, in the plot, oh, by the way, we're going to do this. Uh, and he said, do not hold back. I remember him writing that. Don't be afraid to do whatever you want. So if that's all it took for me to turn into a, a, a maniacal artist, it was an easy transition. 
from a from a sort of a craft standpoint, I know that you know you were working on these pages, you know, sort of in your off time. But from our standpoint, like this looked like some of the best work I've seen from you in a really long time. Were you happy with what you came out with in the end? In Kick-Ass yeah, and then and yet again, I second-guessed myself because I didn't attempt to make it cartoonish. I really didn't. I've read that, that it looked cartoonish. I think what looked cartoonish was uh, uh, these kids performing this kind of violence, and there's no way of doing it accurately because even in film, if you see it done, it's, uh, it doesn't look realistic enough for people because you, nobody can ever watch somebody get cleaved in half. Now, you've never seen that unless you're a cop or a soldier. Uh, so when people mentioned that it looked a little bit cartoonish, I second-guessed myself. I said, well, shit, maybe I could have been a little bit more accurate. But I did not want, I remember going in and discussing it with Tom Palmer, I did not want it to look like my standard work. So we eliminated all blacks. There were no black fields in the issue at all, except for the borders. Tom said, let's just leave the, black, the borders black. It'll be different. I wanted it to be completely line, uh, done in line, and that's what it worked out. Uh, as far as it being realistic, uh, I have a style, and, and I think realism is in the eye. It's subjective, and, and I, uh, my style is as distinctive as, my, as I can get. Uh, I think that if somebody more realistic, some of the artists of today, younger guys, are un unbelievably realistic, and I think that would have been such a difficult thing because if you have realism in the figures and then they have, and you have them doing something unrealistic, like cleaving the top of somebody's head off, then maybe it looks silly. Uh, as silly as maybe I made it look, I don't know. But I did not intend for it to look cartoonish, and yet I've been told that. So maybe I second-guessed myself in that respect. I could have been a little bit more realistic in, in uh, some of the figures. I don't know. But I remember thinking that these have to be kids. And they have to look like kids especially the little girl, and yet she was doing something so insane that it was a dichotomy. You have realism, a realistic attempt at something that's unrealistic. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if that, if that makes any sense to you guys. I don't know, but it sounded great coming out of my head. Yeah, no, it does. It makes perfect sense. And the thing, and like you said, you do have a style. I mean, there definitely is, you know, you can recognize John, you know, John Romita Jr.'s artwork, and, 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 you know, and at the end of the day, it is comics. So there's a certain amount of, you know, you know you're not going photorealistic all of a sudden. I don't think anybody would have wanted to see that. Um, yeah, and that would have been more difficult for me to do that. Yeah, exactly. I never would have finished it if I had done photorealistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and your work, you know, working with Tom Palmer on the inks, you know, like you've you've you know you've you've had some great inkers work, you know, worked a lot with Klaus Janssen and stuff like that. How did um, how did you decide to work with Tom on this project, and what did that how did that change the artwork? Or aside from you know doing the black stuff like that, how how integral was he to the process? Uh, he was very integral. He is a brilliant artist in his own right, as is Klaus Jansen, as is Dean White. Uh, they, uh, Tom knew going in what was going to happen because we discussed it. And I, I don't remember if I had considered doing, uh, using Klaus, but uh, since I wasn't getting paid for this, I think that uh, the editors at Marvel uh, said, listen, uh, you know, you have difficulty getting Klaus to do it for, for very little up front. I think Tom took uh, part, part money up front and then took uh, money later, that kind of thing. Uh, but Klaus was also very busy. And Tom, I've worked with in the past. I knew exactly what he could do. And he's a line man, so we really melded well on this. Uh, he's a great guy, a brilliant artist, and it worked out great. It worked out that way because of Tom. And I give, if, if Mark gives me half credit, Tom gets 
my half credit and, and Dean gets the other quarter credit. You, you cannot uh, minimize what those two guys did on this. And they both worked on the film animation too. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. When, we, when we've talked about, when we've reviewed the book and we've talked about it, I mean, the combination of you and Tom and Dean, probably, in at least in my mind, I think this has been some of your best, your, your guys' best work. Like this is uh, hopefully something you hold up as you know, kind of a career-defining kind of piece because the art was just that, that every issue was better than the one beforehand. So... Thank you very much. Yeah, Thank sure. you. I, I actually tried my my ass off on it, and the, the attempt was to do something different, and I think I succeeded in doing something different. And the only problem with that is I'm working on a new creator-owned series with, with uh, Howard Chaikin, and now i got to try to do something different again. Now I'm in really in trouble. <laughs> I can't think of anything different. What, am I, what the fuck am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, that's interesting because, you know, like we mentioned, you've worked at Marvel for so long, and you had one uh, previous creator on book, The Gray Area at Image, um, and now Kick-Ass, and now it sounds like you're doing something with Howard Chaikin. Have you, have you got the creator-owned bug now, or...? Oh yeah, and matter of fact, uh, Gray Area is going to be re-released by Marvel in a trade with uh, new colors and uh, a new lettering and uh, a couple of uh, a new scene added um, because we're getting interest from some uh, people in Hollywood about work that I've worked stuff that I've worked on. See, this is what Kickass is doing for me. Yeah, that's great. That's excellent. Now you've got all this free time. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I have. I've had three or four ideas for quite a few years now, and. one was gray area. The other is this project with Howard Chaikin called Schmuggy and Bimbo. And uh, the other is another project that I have other people considering. But yes, I, I do have that bug. And I'm beginning, I'm going to begin working on this project with Howard. Um, I think within a month, uh, the first issue will be, be, will be begun, will be begun. That's great. And is it going to be through the icon line again or? Yes, yes it is. Oh, excellent! That's great. So, um, yeah, because it's been it's been interesting to see how Marvel's used that icon line. Because up to now, it's been you know Bendis and Brubaker and, you know, and Miller kind of more writer based. But if um, you know uh, you know affording to you as an artist to, to pursue your, your your kind of projects, is, it seems like a great option. Yeah, I'm hoping it works out that I, that stuff that I have created, which I, I created Gray Area and I created Schmuggy and Bimbo, as opposed to coming in on Mark's creation, and I hope it works well. For those two, as it did with Kickass, I, listen. I don't have the uh, P.T. Barnum-esque personality of Mark Miller. <laughs> uh, he's a huckster, and there's no two other ways. No, no other way about it. He's that's he, that's the way he is. He's good at it. Uh, I'm a big mouth, but I'm not that much of a big mouth. <laughs> Hopefully, the pro- the projects will stand on their own merit and get attention um, for various reasons, other than me being able to. Uh, come up with a, an, an ad campaign like Mark did. Yeah, <laughs> but but it worked. I mean, I I'm, I I, I got to admit, my head spins a little when I look at the timeline and see how quickly the the book went from idea to comic to movie, and the fact that the movie's coming out now. I mean, I'm sure your head is probably spun all, off and fell off already by now at the speed. But <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to finish an issue of Avengers before I leave for South by Southwest on Thursday. Jeez, oh, and uh, <laughs> if I make it to Thursday alive. And we're in good shape. Yeah. All right. Well, we hope you do it. Um, so that, that's so. so speaking speaking of that, you know, you you announced you're going to be the artist with Brian, uh, along with Brian Michael Bendis, on writing on uh, for Avengers. Um, and when I heard that news, I had to step back. I go, Has he ever done Avengers before? And I realized you hadn't. <laughs> not in a month, not a monthly title. That's correct. Right. Yeah. So so um, how did that how did that whole come about? How did that that job get offered to you? I uh, was put on the uh, Thor. Iron Man um, free comic book day issue. And then I was told that I would do a six-issue run on Thor with Matt Fraction. And then while I was working on that Iron Man Thor book for the free comic book day, 
they changed gears and said that they have an idea and they're going to ask me to do uh, Avengers at least for a year and possibly two. And I said, what the hell? I have not done Avengers. Let's give it a shot. Yeah, that, that's great. And it's like it's like I said, it's amazing that you hadn't done Avengers. I mean, because your, your legacy, I mean, like for me, I started reading your, your stuff on your Uncanny X-Men run. So like for me, you're, you're always be, I picture the X-Men, but I know for many other people, your Spider-Man run or your run on Thor or, you know, Thor. these other, yeah, these other little runs that have come through. Um, right. So it's got to be great to be able to add Avengers to that, to that list of, you know, classic, you know, what will be classic runs. Yeah, it's less about the characters and, and the title than it is about working with Brian. Uh, I happen to think Brian is uh, in, in the top on the top shelf of writers, and now I've get, got a chance to work with him. That's the thrill to me is working with Brian. I got a chance to work with Fraction on an issue. Uh, I would have worked with him on Thor, but when I heard it was Bendis and they were changing gears on me, I said, "Well, that's great. That, that's that's justification just alone working with Bendis." And now, because I've always been a fan of his work. And now I get a chance to work with them. Yeah, have you have you never previously worked with them at this point? Not on. An, an, I, I did a fill. Believe it or not, I did a fill in. I I broke down an <laughs> issue in in a week um, with Hank Pym and something like that. Somebody uh, had uh, I think a baby. Somebody somebody's wife was uh, delivering, and they uh, <laughs> something unimportant like that. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I had to fill in for a guy, and uh, Brian was the writer on it, and they had no time, so I had to break it down in a couple of days. Yeah. And that was my first foray with uh, Bendis. Yeah, can you mean guys come up with excuses like their wife is having a child? I, I hadn't thought about that one. i got to come up with an excuse like that next time. <laughs> yeah, you, just gotta, you can't, you, you've, you've built up this reputation as a, as a workhorse, you know? The expectations are set there. So. I'm running out of dead relatives. i got to start coming up with stuff like that. My, my wife will laugh. Yeah. So, so you said that it's you. Know, you said that working on Avengers is less about the characters and less about the um, entitled working with Brian, which is you know apparent. But you know, after all your years at Marvel and stuff like that, are there still characters that you get excited to work on, or there are characters that you haven't touched that you would like to, or are they just all just just you know just another thing to draw at this point? I think there's one character entitled that I do have a fascination with, and it's Doctor Strange. Oh wow! I've always had a fascination with it, so maybe that would be something I'd look forward to. Right now, doing Avengers pretty much is going to fill my dance card with the Marvel's characters. Yeah. Uh, but at some point, I would love to do something very wild and weird with Doctor Strange. That would be cool. I really, yeah, yeah be- I don't know. If, well, I think that's been the holdback. It's not exactly the type of character that can um, fill up uh, people's uh, subscription sheets, but I still would like to try something with him. For some reason, people, when you ask a lot of creators, artists, writers, everybody, a lot of people end up saying Doctor Strange, and, and people, they have a hard time making that book fly sales-wise, but there's something about that character that, that creators seem to love. What, what is yeah. it for you that, that really makes him attractive? Uh, the, the, uh, the, the freedom of the character, the weirdness. You mm-hmm. can, I think instead of having to draw Manhattan a million times in, in, in a year, doing six <laughs> issues of, of, of uh, Doctor Strange means... A lot of nebulous-looking backgrounds, easy backgrounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's and that, that that would be the fun part was just doing as many strange things as possible and having them make sense in some way. That means I would probably need somebody with an, uh, a very strange look on things. I got to pick a very weird writer, and if I mention a name now, then I'll be insulting somebody. So. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, I'm going to have to go out and find a writer that is uh, either drug addicted or an alcoholic, and then uh, see if we can find something. Uh, well, they're, they're out impossible. there. Yeah, it's they're impossible out there. to find writers with those kind of problems. <laughs>
Now I can't work with a writer on, on Doctor Strange because you guys will print that. Lamina <laughs> thinks Bendis is a drug addict, you know. <laughs> so, um, so wor- working on Avengers and working with you know working with Bendis, ha- um, how has that process been? Have you you know have his or scripts easy to work off of? Or you guys built you know as you build that collaborative kind of a relationship? Uh, so far, yes. Yeah. But uh, there's still you know there's still much to be done because I only am working on the first issue. Sure. Uh, Brian's got so many ideas. It's just it, <laughs> right now it's like trying to hop on a. A, a, a parkway with uh, uh, with a tricycle. <laughs> <laughs> but as, ta- as I finish this first issue, I can see that I eventually will get the hang of this. Yeah. And, um, and it, you're working on the issue right now as we speak. I mean, people who are listening should know that. I am on issue. I'm page 21 of the first issue. That's correct. Wow. <laughs> Who, who's on that page? Who's on the page? Okay, let's see. Kang the Conqueror. Oh. And every Avenger in existence on the roof on a rooftop in Manhattan. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I think you just collectively made both of our jaw drops. <laughs> well, it's, it's just ten people, but, it, but to me, it's every every event. I already did the twenty-six uh, character thing in in the first uh, couple of pages. A double-page spread of twenty-six characters individually, and um, and things get. Things get real hairy then from then on in because there's so many characters. Wow! So so does, did Bendis know that you're not George Perez, or did, was that? Was that I think he wants me to become him. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think. He, well, there's so many characters related with the Avengers now, and I'm sure you know, like you know, and, and after your years of drawing Spider-Man, I'm sure you're just overjoyed to see that Spider-Man is also on the Avengers now too. So you you can never yeah. get away from those webs. Yeah, Spider-Man and Thor. Uh, the only. The only drawback about doing Spider-Man is that he's not the main character. I, mean, I really enjoy doing Spider-Man. I don't mind the, the webbing. Yeah. But the, all of these characters seem to have complicated costumes when you're in a rush to finish a book. Oh, my God, i got to do this. And I, gotta, I think if the thing was involved in this, I would have really screamed. <laughs> yeah, all those, all those little rock pants, you know, for, for yes. instance, are the... Yeah. Yes. Oh man! So, uh, so, uh, what, uh, so, I mean, you, you know, like we say, you got a reputation for being, you know, a workhorse and getting the stuff done. Are you? Are what? What kind of uh, speed or rate are you at in terms of doing pages? I mean, are you at a page a day, or can you sometimes bang out a little more or less? Or uh, unfortunately, when I uh, agreed to do the the, the uh, title, I had scheduled a vacation uh, from a year ago, and naturally, the uh, vacation happened just as I was work beginning to work on the first issue. So I lost 10 days uh, of time on this issue, and I kind of put them behind the eight ball. But um, it's generally two to three weeks to finish an issue. And I, total work, even including the vacation, will be around three weeks. If I finish it by Wednesday or Thursday, we're, we're in good shape. But uh, now that I got all this traveling with the kick-ass movie coming up, I'm going to have to be working in hotel rooms and, in, uh, and in, on, on airplanes and uh, everywhere I can to keep up the monthly schedule um, until this kick-ass excursion is over. There's five or six different screenings in various parts of the world. But I, generally when I'm settled in uh, two to three weeks to finish an issue, I, this is a group. This is going to be interesting to see how a group book works out though. Yeah, because because of Spider-Man, you were it was a, it's, you know while there's a cast, it's essentially a Spider-Man book. He's the solo character, and yeah. Yeah, but for some reason, and I always complain about this, writers when they when they get to work with me, begin to salivate and say, "Hey, we got Romita. We can put any shit in we want. Let's put in all of it." 
10,000 people in one panel fighting Spider-Man and and then every character from the netherworld coming through a hole in, in time and space at the same time at in Times Square <laughs> at, at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Did you try floating the idea of moving the Avengers to, like, Tempe, Arizona or that's Iceland? That's the ticket. <laughs> that, that would be the ticket, yes. So, so who's going to be inking you on the Avengers stuff? Uh... Oh, Klaus! I'm sorry. Oh, excellent. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so, so it'll be a look that it'll be it's someone you know that you've worked with previously, and a look that everyone will kind of be familiar with. So that's that's cool. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Excellent. Definitely. So, um, so yeah, so so you know, as you know, as you work on as you work on these books, and as you work on these different characters, ha- you know, like like we talked about earlier, you know, you do have a definite style, and you can recognize your work. Um, but ha- you know, when you approach a new title, do you look for ways that you can tweak your style or adjust it to give the book a new kind of feel or a new kind of look? Uh, no, I'm I'm not really conscious of attempting anything different on this. Yeah. I'm just trying to hold on to dear life and get it done. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Nothing wrong with that. That's for sure. <laughs> well, speaking of your style, you, you know, you grew up around you know your father doing work and all the classic Marvel artists doing work and things like that. I'm curious, like, what kind of elements of that style has has leaked into the stuff that you do, or, or what sort of things that you picked up from that? Because you definitely have a different style, but but there's you know there's hints of that classic stuff in there. Uh, I think it's more about the storytelling than mm-hmm. it was anything else. I never attempted. No, I didn't. I can't say I never attempted to draw like my father. I, I attempted to draw like my father in Kirby and Bishema, but by the time it got down my to my hand from my head, it looked a whole lot different. Uh, I, I saw things that th- those guys did, particularly my father, and attempted to emulate it, emulate it, but it didn't work out that way. So the only thing I could cons- really grasp and, and then uh, truly emulate and truly imitate was the storytelling. And that worked out. That, it probably is my strong point. It makes my art look better. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that I really appreciate that it works out that way. But I can't possibly be as good an artist as my father or December or Kirby. So... You suck it up and you say, "Okay, uh, then I will um, tell a good story." Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, underestimate your your skill. I think you are one of the one of the A list artists work, working right now. Um, but it's it's also, I think it's interesting from a historical standpoint because you are, you know, you're one of those bridge guys that were. I mean, you you got to see those greats draw and you got to interact with them, and then uh, and you know, meanwhile, you know, you're actively working, and and there are other you know artists coming up now. How you know how your position of being able to look backwards and as well as look forwards. How do you how do you feel about current artists now and their approach? the comics versus how you know the kind of the, the kind of the old guard used to do it um i'm not able to to pick names and and uh, describe uh to you. as much as i'm able to say that editors and and casada and and the people in marvel have really attempted to, to indoctrinate storytelling into new artists and their and their uh, abilities i think that that was left out for a lot of years in the industry and now uh, the guys at marvel are attempting to really uh, indoctrinate artists in that respect to look at storytelling as the most important thing, if not the equally important as the art. Uh, saying that, there's a, a good amount of guys that are just beautiful draftsmen. And I can't name them all. I can name a few of them, but uh, I, I can't. They, none of their names come to mind because I can't connect the, the art with the names right now. I have it right in front of me. I couldn't even tell you the names because there's a reference sheet from all the issues doesn't have their names on it. <laughs> but one of them is the guy that does the New Avengers and, and um, 
that that stuff. But then there's guys like Brian Hitch and and all the you know the guys that are a little bit older from the the generation after me. There's so many good artists. Uh, it's um, so that is also incentive to keep myself at the top of my game if I can because in no time somebody will say, hey, we got some guys that are you know that are better than you. Sorry, yeah. so I got to watch that. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you you put the emphasis on storytelling um, and made the delineation between draftsman and storytelling. Is that um, you know when if you talk to younger creators, you know is that the, is that the main advice you give them? And like what? And because I think sometimes that's a subtle difference. In like what makes good storytelling for an artist? Yeah, but for me, it's 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 more about survival because, like I said, my art style was only just so in my eyes. It's only okay, and this is not false modesty. This is the truth. Uh, I grew. I came into the industry with guys like Jim Lee and and all those guys that are just fan favorites forever that I compete with. And then there was even uh, uh, Frank Miller to compete with, who was a genius in in both fields, uh, art and writing. So I had to work on something that would separate me. And it may not have separated me, but I really concentrated on trying to be cinematic. And it worked that my storytelling uh, really advanced the, the quality of my art. It really did. And that's you, what I relied on. I relied on the storytelling to separate me if I could. Yeah, you started, you were doing professional work re- really young. I mean, it, like how long were you doing it before you felt like, I've, you know, I'm comfortable with this, I got it. Uh, you know, are, are you comfortable with it now or you think you're still evolving? Oh, boy, I still got to work. <laughs> I still have work to do. I'll get better. Uh, there's always room to improve, and uh, I'm always a student of the game. But um, I can only concentrate on what I can do, and I stick to what I know how to do. And then hopefully within that realm, I improve as I continue to work regularly. Was, is, is there, is, was there a title or a project that, that you look back on and you're like, you know, that was my game changer? That was where it kind of clicked and started working for me? Uh, I think the, the run on Daredevil uh, and then Man Without Fear yeah. may have been it. That might have been the, the, the trick. Right. And and it was just and was it just something that that just came naturally or something that just you know like that, that you know kind of magic happened or was was there something that you did to you know to make it happen? I don't remember if I made a concerted effort. I think Ralph Macchio told me you get to tell the story your way, full pencils. And I had been doing mostly breakdowns before that, and then all of a sudden I was doing full pencils and I was controlling the storytelling because I was working some plots, and it just happened. I don't know. If there was a, a bell that went off that was working in the middle of the night and the light went on over my head, I don't remember, but uh, it just seemed to come together then. And then I worked on Man Without Fear with Frank, and that was an exercise in itself. Uh, and that might have been, uh, to that point, the best I've ever done. And then since then, there's been other work, but that working with Frank, I think I hit a home run that time. Uh, I don't know if I've done everything as well completely. And I worked with Al Williamson. How could you not be proud of that? But storytelling-wise, that might be the best storytelling I've done. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, because I think it's that, that, that storytelling, it's so important. And it's, I mean, with the comics, it's such a unique visual medium. And, uh, you know, I think so many artists are so focused on being able to, you know, draw the great, you know, the, the you know, because for the, the whole 90s, we celebrated the splash page and celebrated, you know, the, the, the drafting aspect of it. But it's really the storytellers are the ones that separate from the pack. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. I hope that's the case. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's apparent with with the books that come out and the the, the guys who are go to guys, you know, that A list that you are definitely a part of, you know. Uh, and it's it's also it's it's interesting because you know if you look at some of the some of the key Marvel 
stories that have happened in the past decade. I mean, you've been you've been right there front and center. I mean, between all the stuff on Spider Man, especially around nine eleven and things like that, as well as you know World War Hulk and you know and, and um, working you know working on uh, you know those little kind of one off series like the you know the the Eternals and um, and Century right, and stuff right. like that. Um, you know, had you know it's funny it's funny to hear you talk about you know you're worried about your game and you got to stay on top of things and these young ones or whatever. But it seems like you know you're kind of one of Marvel's go to guys. It seems like you're fairly all right. <laughs> All right, I, I'll accept that. The problem is that it's, it's more difficult to to be sharp, to remain sharp, uh, because as as you get older, I'm reading things. Ah, it's, it's time for him to move on. That kind of thing. Uh, you have to. I have to read critiques of my work, critical, severely critical stuff, to keep myself from getting too complacent. And uh, that, maybe that's a failing. I don't know. But to me, it's a real tool of keeping me on my toes. Every time I think I'm doing good work, I go to a, a, an online board, a chat room, and I read the people that hate my guts, and they hate my grandchildren that haven't even been born yet, you know, that kind of thing. And it really does keep you up on your toes to realize that there's a lot of people that do not like your work. Now, sometimes there is some validity to what they, what they write. So I do pay attention, and I give them weight, and I do not get to the point where I say, ah, they're out of their minds. Don't read the negative stuff. It's actually smarter to read the negative stuff than not to because it will keep you on your toes. So you find that there is enough actual, like, valid criticism? Because, I mean, there's a lot of just junk oh, where no, people uh, would just say they don't like stuff. But from, a, from an artistic standpoint, do you find that there's much of value? Um, uh, no. But I, do okay. pay, but I give, it, give it validity anyway. Mm-hmm. And that what it does, it may, not, it may not make me change. I think the only thing I've ever done is made Spider-Man's ankles a little bit thicker. Uh, it's an inside joke. Some kid complained that my Spider-Man's ankles were too skinny. And it was a running joke on this chat room. And I, I think it was Alvaro's uh, comic boards. And I, I laughed. And then I realized, maybe he's right. So I started thickening the ankles. And then I made a point of telling the guy. And we got to be, you know, chat room friends. But um, <laughs> no, while they may not have validity, validity legitimately artistically, I do give it that weight so that it makes me work harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because it's it's interesting because like the the and and you could probably speak to this having you know from your your career where you've seen the interaction between comic creators evolve over the past you know twenty years you know where you know you could go to a convention every couple of months and see fans and do autographs do in store signings you know get some feedback there letter pages right. things like that to the point where now an issue comes out Wednesday and by noon on Wednesday you've got people either praising it or bashing it you know <laughs> in a very public forum. Yeah, it's, it's immediate, and you have to have a thick skin, and uh, you have to be able to take it, uh, uh, well, not, not take it and roll with it, but you have to be able to differentiate between how, how you accept it and, and how you disregard it. Um, I think if everybody pays attention to their critics and uses it instead of taking it to heart, then you'll be okay. I, look, there's guys that never got better as they got older. I have to get better as I get older. Otherwise, there's going to be too many people passing me by. So I have to use uh, things as tools. And one is uh, I've always had the urge to have one year or one six-month period where I consider in my own head that I've reached the top rung. And I may not get there because there's always somebody better. And in the words of my father when I was a kid, there's always somebody bigger, better, smarter, and, and uh, uh, better looking. <laughs> so it keeps you on the ground. However, there would be one day, maybe, where I get considered 
uh, in my own head that I'm at the top, lat- top rung. But until I get to that point, I use all of the critiques and all the critics and all of the boneheads that are just nasty, I use them, put them to good use. And I tell them that. When a guy says, you're the worst thing, you effing this, and you're, you're, you know, your stuff is fugly, and all, every, all of those jokes, uh, whether they're serious or not, I write back and say, thank you. Because of you, I'm going to work another 10 years to get better. So be happy that I'm going to be around for 10 more years. It's your fault. <laughs> uh, it's the truth. Yeah. The, more I keep, the more I have this urge to be the best, you know, the longer I will stick around. And I, when I wake up one morning and say, that's it, I'm done. I'll know it. Well, well, I gotta admit. I mean, that's. I mean, you know, a your your work ethic is admirable, and and I think other creators should, you know, should should you know to take take note of it. But also just the approach, because you know, we talk to a lot of creators, and some creators just you know don't even go online to read because they can't deal with the criticism, or some of them take you know take it way too personally. And and it sounds like you've you know, you've really figured it out how to use it to your advantage. So that's great. Yeah, I do. I sometimes take it personally because there are some people that are absolutely over the top nasty, and they get too personal. What I do is, uh, instead of wanting to find them and then send a couple of uncles after them, I will, uh, <laughs> I'll play with them like a cat toy, and like a cat with a cat toy. And uh, much like the bullies that, um, that needed to be made fun of, or, uh, you know, you need to, to pick on a bully verbally because you can't fight a bully. They're too big. So you, pick, you, know, you, you talk them down the way comedians did when they were kids. It's the same kind of thing. I play with them and try to emasculate them. It doesn't always work because they hate for the sake of hating. But I, I use it. I play with them. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Some guy recently hated me for, for no reason at all other than he just thought my stuff sucked. And then said, boy, you're, you're too sick. I was joking around with him the whole time, but it didn't come across that way to him. So it went on for a week about the Avengers, that I'm the worst thing and that I have no class. You know, it got worse and worse and worse. And I said, you know what? I think I'm done with you. I'm, I'm taking my ball and going home. And then he got nasty and brought up my father. And that's oh. when I said, okay, I'm done with you. Yeah. And he said, good, go ahead, go home, that kind of thing. So there are some points where it doesn't do any good to even joke around with some of these people. They hate for the sake of hating. And that's fine. And then what are you going to do? If I run into him at a bar... So be it. But in the meantime, I'll never find a guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's it's the internet. That's you just got to shrug and just say and 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 have the fortitude to be able to walk away. And so yeah. Yeah. And to, 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 more to your point is that I do use it to my advantage, but I have to listen. I have to read occasionally. You can't just pay attention to all of the, the nice things I read. Uh, you have to. It's. I guess it's that old uh, Godfather adage: keep your friends close, but your your enemies closer. Same kind of thing. I, 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 use it, I use it as a tool, is basically what it is. And keep your uncles on speed dial. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, excellent. All right, John. Well, we've taken up enough of your time. Uh, we really appreciate uh, talking to us. And, um, you know, we're super excited for Kick-Ass to be a hit movie and, and for Avengers to come out. So it's, it seems like it's a pretty good time to be John Romita Jr. these days. So. We're happy I for appreciate it. that, but yeah. uh, you have to ask my wife about that one. So big thank you to John Romita Jr., who, as you can tell, is a very, very busy man. Hell, he was drawn while he was talking to us, so uh, that shows how busy and how much of a workhorse he actually is. Uh, if you haven't checked out Kick-Ass, pick it up in hardcover. You can probably pick it up in trade paperback soon as well. The movie's coming out. Check that out. And you can see him in Avengers with uh, Brian Michael Bendis coming out this May. It's a great time to be John Romita Jr., and it couldn't be uh, happening to a better guy. So uh, check out all the other podcasts at ifanboy.com. You can check out our weekly Pick of the Week podcast as well 
well as the other Talk Explodes we do there. And if you have uh, any questions or any creators you want to recommend we talk to, shoot us an email at contact at Until next time. Generation.